Good morning, everyone. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth, the meditations of our heart, would be pleasing to you. The flowers fade, the grass withers, but the word of our Lord will endure forever. God, we come with open hearts and ask that just as you visited your people on that first Pentecost, that you might visit us now. Take these mere words and speak to our hearts, Lord. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Well, it's really good to be together. Welcome to those worshiping with us online. Uh, the year was 1733, and in the small town of Northampton, Massachusetts, there was a young pastor named Jonathan Edwards. And over the course of this year, he started to notice a profound change come over his congregation, a spiritual awakening. And it all started with the youth group. As many revivals have happened in the history of the church, which was a surprising thing for Jonathan Edwards. For you see, he had a little bit of tension with the youth group. Uh, he tended to rail against their what he saw as loose morals and their disrespect for authority. And so he wasn't the most popular pastor with the young people. But all of a sudden, things changed, and these young people who once held religion at a distance were overcome by the power of God's Spirit, and they began to line up to visit Jonathan Edwards and, and talk about these experiences. They started prayer groups, and, and this revival just came over these young people. And from there, it spread to the church, and, and it was as if this revival was happening amongst all of the early colonies. And over the course of the next couple of years, we saw a powerful, power mo powerful movement of the Holy Spirit, which has come to be known as the Great Awakening in American history. But just as we heard in our text today, while some were open and experiencing a profound turning towards God, there were others who were very skeptical. And in fact, many of Jonathan Edwards' colleagues looked down upon these revivals, saw it as mere emotionalism. It went against their reserved East Coast sensibilities and their intellectual theology. Some were open, and some explained it away. That's where we pick up the, the text today. We see as this powerful movement of the Spirit comes upon the early church, some were overcome, uh, seeking answers. And others dismissed it as if they just had too much wine. Wasn't that a jarring end to the reading of our text today? And some just laughed it off. And yet, I, I wonder if that actually speaks to an experience that we sometimes struggle with in the spiritual journey. That at times, if we're honest, we perhaps wrestle with a little bit of skepticism about spiritual realities. Maybe some of us come today even kind of holding it at arm's length, a little bit unsure about whether I can trust these experiences. And if that's where you're at, I just want to say that you're in good company. You belong in the story. This is where this first story began. I want us to notice that in the book of Acts 2, those who were laughing this off, holding it at arm's length, were actually the religious insiders. They were part of the devout group who had traveled on a pilgrimage to celebrate Pentecost. This was a Jewish festival celebrating the provision of God, and it says these were God-fearing worshipers who had traveled, and they were at a church event. 
And yet, even in the midst of that worship experience, they were caught off guard when God actually showed up. God actually showed up. And I, I just wonder if some of us come today, if we're honest, just feeling a little bit unsure at times, holding God a little bit at a distance. I, I would wonder if some of these first worshipers were dealing with a little bit of disillusionment. It had been a long time they had waited for these things that had been prophesied in the Old Testament to come true, to come to fruition. I wonder if they'd just given up hope that God was actually going to show up. A little bit hardened towards that. Maybe numb to spirituality. Perhaps they are a little bit skeptical. And I just want to put that out to us today. Is is there maybe a, a reason behind our skepticism? Do sometimes we come a little bit disillusioned? Right? We haven't encountered God in a while and, and just wonder where God's at. I wonder if there's just a, a general skepticism in our culture that's, that's rubbed off on us. Now, I noticed that these first skeptics were explaining things through a very naturalistic argument. There must be a natural explanation for this phenomenon. It must be too much wine. And I would actually say that that's a pretty good description of our cultural moment right now, that we have a very naturalistic view of reality. That's part of the, the trajectory of Western civilization, as we have a scientific worldview. And on the one hand, we want to embrace that, right, the gifts of science and the, the technology and the medicine and all that stuff. It's not a rejection of that. But we also are called as Christians to this bigger view that there is something beyond just what we can understand physically, that there is a deeper reality out there. Dallas Willard once said that as Christians, as religious insiders, our souls are soaked in secularity. We're just immersed in it all around us. And what he means by that is that this naturalistic worldview kind of rubs off on us. And our our reflex now, our default is to say there must be a natural explanation for things. I'm a little hesitant about this idea that there might be a bigger reality, a spiritual reality beyond what I can see. And yet I think that we're coming to the, the edges of that culturally. And perhaps those of you who are maybe just on the periphery listening, you're you're visiting at home, not totally sure if if you're buying this. I'm wondering if you can trace in your experience this this feeling that there might be something more than just what can be explained naturally. There is just a resurgence of spiritual interest in our culture. There's a recognition that these answers of just reducing it all to cells and atoms isn't enough. Maybe you can feel that in your, your experience. So there's skepticism. But I want to suggest to you and, and, and invite you into an other response to the Spirit today. Whereas some ruled it out as just some natural phenomenon, they had too much wine, others were amazed but perplexed and asked this question, what does this mean? What does this mean? You see, the opposite of skepticism doesn't mean a blind faith of just agree with everything you see. I'm not inviting you to just take my word for it. But what I want to frame for us today is how we might have a discerning openness to the movement of the Spirit. A discerning openness to the fact that God wants to do something significant in our lives. And like these first disciples, I want to call us to this process of saying, I'm amazed, but I still have questions. So what does that mean? What does that mean?
As we look at the rest of Acts 2, we discover a process of discernment. What Peter proceeds to do is trying to to answer that question, what does this mean? Again, he doesn't throw away the question. He doesn't say, you just have to believe me. He walks them through a process of discernment. And there are really two sources of discernment that I think are really significant for us as we try and discern what the Spirit is doing in our midst. And the first source of discernment is the Word of God itself. Peter proceeds to walk the people through the Scriptures He quotes Joel, too, and says, this is what God had prophesied would happen. In the the end days, the Spirit will be released on all people, and there will be prophecy, and people's hearts will be turned to God. See, it's in the Scriptures. And he traces from David to Jesus and shows how Jesus is fulfilling this role of Messiah. And so he answers their question, what does this mean by saying, this is in alignment with the Word of God that you believe in? And that is how they discern the movement of the Spirit. The Spirit doesn't work outside the bounds of what we know as revealed in Scripture. That's what grounds our discernment. The second source of discernment is to look at the fruit of these experiences. We are told by Paul what the fruit of the Spirit looks like. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. And as we see the book of Acts unfold, we see that it is fulfilling the work of the Spirit. It's producing the fruit that is in keeping with who God is and the values of the kingdom. We see this on a grand scale in Acts 2, that what happens at Pentecost produces the fruit of the kingdom of God. On a grand scale, we see that the word of God is proclaimed to all people. And we see the breaking down of the barriers of race and nation in the Acts story. In fact, many commentators note that this is an undoing of the Babel story in Genesis 11, where through, in that story, the pride of humanity, they sought to find their own way to God. The the consequence of that was division and the confusion of language. And now in Acts, God is the one taking the journey down to us. And the word of God is breaking past the barriers of race and nation and language. This is cluing to the early church that this inclusive kingdom that will go beyond Jerusalem to the ends of the earth is now taking place. God is breaking down these barriers. It is the ministry of reconciliation where all people are brought together in the kingdom of God. It is the undoing of Babel. So we see that this is in alignment. What we see the Spirit doing is in alignment with what God values, what God has preached, the fruit of, of his Spirit on a big scale. And we also see this at the level of the human heart. In Acts 2.37, as Peter is preaching and explaining, it says that many were cut to the heart. And they asked Peter, what should we do? To which he said, repent and be baptized. See, the fruit of these events did not just end with a powerful emotional experience, but it led to repentance. They were cut to the heart and then asked this question, now what? And out of the outpouring of the Spirit, we see the fruit of this new community that is formed and walking towards the values of God. They are repenting. They become generous. They become courageous. They become passionate about the Word of God. It becomes their primary thing in their lives. 
The fruit of Pentecost leads to new life and a changed life at the level of the human heart. So aren't we glad that they didn't just write it off and say they must be drunk, but they said, what does this mean? And Peter began to explain and point that this experience of the Spirit is very much in alignment with who we know God to be so we can be open to it. Let's trust it. Let's allow God to do his work within our hearts. Back in 1733, Jonathan Edwards was trying to make sense of what was going on in his congregation. And as I said, some people just wrote it off and said, that's just emotionalism. But Jonathan Edwards took a different path. Instead, he was amazed, but also perplexed, and proceeded to ask, what does this mean? What does this mean? And he models for us what a discerning openness looks like. For he proceeded to ask God to reveal and give him discernment. He began to interview people who were having these experiences and and read it in light of what he knew God to be doing in the scriptures. And he produced a, a very powerful book, a really great book on discernment called The Religious Affections, which just outlines his discernment process as he asked, what does this mean? And there were two things that he came up with in this book that I think are just very similar to, to what Peter models, but which help us understand how to discern and be open to the Spirit. The first thing he said to his colleagues was this, let's not be too quick to write off experiences of the Spirit. write off experiences of the Spirit. Because Edward says, as I'm tracing Scripture, I'm seeing that when we follow Jesus, we are going to have profound encounters with God. It's not just going to be an intellectual exercise, as all you intellectual theologians like. (laughs) One of his quotes in the Religious Affections states this, the Scriptures do everywhere place religion at the level of affect such as love, joy, zeal, fear, passion. And so Edwards is saying, when I'm reading Scripture, I'm realizing that the Spirit is not just an idea for us to think about, but a real reality that we encounter. And it hits us at the level of experience. We, too, are cut to the heart. And so he says, let's not be too quick to write off spiritual experience. I was meeting with my spiritual director, mentor this week, and he was reading a book that just had this powerful insight that really shifted my thinking. And he said that we often think about the spiritual journeys moving from our head to our heart, and the goal is to kind of internalize these ideas. But when we read scripture, it's actually reversed that it actually goes from heart to head. And we're going to see that throughout the Gospel of Acts is that God will move in powerful ways and then they try and make sense of it. And Peter preaches about it and tries to trace it and discern it with Scripture. I, I, I want to remind us that behind these beautiful ideas that we cherish and that we talk about is actually a true reality. These are pointing to truth. God is more than an idea. God is more than a metaphor. But the spirit that visited these people on Pentecost is in our midst even now. And can we be open to the fact that we might encounter and be formed by that and experience these spiritual realities? That's what Jonathan Edwards spoke back to his theologian friends. The scriptures do everywhere place religion at the level of experience of affect. 
But then he said this, and this is what Peter does. We must then discern that through the scriptures. Discern those experiences, because there can be false experiences of the Spirit. And we must say, is this actually bearing the fruit of the Spirit, or is this of a different spirit? As he interviewed people who went through these great awakening revivals, he noted that some people, he argued, had false experiences of the Spirit, because the fruit it was producing was pride and arrogance, that I was like a better person because I had these experiences, and a selfishness. But he said, for many people, these encounters that they had with God led to repentance. It bore fruit of generosity and sacrifice and a deep humility and love for others. And he said, that is of the Spirit, for it is bearing that fruit. It's bearing that fruit. I want to leave you with a a metaphor that I've found helpful around discernment that might cultivate a discerning openness to the movement of the Spirit in our midst. Gary Moon, a teacher of mine, uses this kind of a silly metaphor, but it's probably the only thing you'll remember today. It'll stick with you. But he imagined that there were, there's two radio station frequencies out there. And, you know, whenever there's a radio station, they put the word W in front of it, like WKGI or whatever. I don't know why. But he said, imagine there's two radio stations, and one is WSIN, if you're kind of catching that. And, and it's... It's a station that when we tune into, it actually sounds like not the voice of the spirit, but the voice of the flesh and the voice of evil and sin and brokenness. And he says, what does that station sound like? What is both the content of that and the effect of that? And if we're tuning into WSIN, it's going to say things that are very contrary to the word of God. And it's going to produce the fruit of the flesh, selfishness, division, arrogance, bitterness. But he says, imagine what this other station, WGOD, sounds like. That there is actually a frequency out there that we can tune into. And how can we discern whether we're listening to WSIN and WGOD? And that station is going to have a very different content and a very different effect. The content of that station is going to sound like Jesus. It's going to sing the tunes of his kingdom. And it's going to produce the fruit of love and joy. Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. It's going to break down barriers. It's going to build up the kingdom of God. May we be open, friends, to the fact that the spirit that is revealed in Acts 2 is in our midst. And can we learn to discern what his voice sounds like and what the manifestation of his spirit sounds like and does compared to the other influences and spirits at work in our midst? Because here's, here's the challenge to us as a church. If we desire to live into an Acts type of church, we need to be open to the Spirit. That there is only so much we can do through human self-effort. We could probably have some good programs and manage a budget and entertain ourselves and do some things that maybe feel successful from a worldly perspective. But if we want to experience what the Spirit did back 2,000 years ago, what the Spirit did in 1733, which I believe we can 
We need to be open to the fact that that spirit is in our midst, that God wants to come down in our space here, in our world, to break down barriers, to cut through to our hearts, lead us to repentance so that we might be a people on fire, a people that are doing the work of the kingdom. So may we, friends, not just write it off too prematurely, but come with our questions, amazed but perplexed, seeking God to reveal what this all means so that we too can be part of his work in this world. Would you join me in prayer? And so, God, we, we want to come with open hearts and minds to you today. Grant us faith, grant us courage to receive the outpouring of your spirit that we might be part of this work of reconciliation in this world, that you might even now in this space, in this time, in this moment, break through our hearts, that we might have a time to repent and turn back to you. Lord, we invite your spirit to come and do a work among us now and in the weeks to come. We pray this in your name. Amen.